Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2077. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm back in my hometown area, La Mesa, California, which is really part of San Diego County, San Diego, California, with a very special guest by the name of Edmund Pifford. Edmund, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have it in gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Heck yes, I am. All right. I should say, do you have your paintbrush in hand? Because today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite subjects, and that is art, automotive art. But before we do, would you share one little thing with our listeners today that maybe most people don't know about you? Well, probably the main thing is that I taught myself five foreign languages in the last two years. What? No, okay, now wait <laughs> yes. a minute. Five foreign languages. Okay, I have to ask you how you did this. Did you use one of these, uh, is it Burble, one of those, I think? There's one of these uh, apps that they No, I, I I used LingQ, which where you read, you, you gather vocabulary by reading, uh-huh. and then I just listened to podcasts, and uh. I started speaking after about four months. And, wow. And, uh, it's been two years, and uh, I tell you, it's I've never had more fun in all my life. Although, for most people, I would recommend just at max doing two languages. It was a bit much. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, that's incredible. You know, I have a listener, and uh, good morning to my friend in Russia. He is an artist in Russia, and he listens to the podcast, and that's how he learns how to speak better English. And he did a painting of me in my, what I call my orange crush. It's an 87 Turbo, and he shipped it to me from Russia and this big paint. It's huge. You know, Fantastic. It's like four feet by two feet. This big picture, it sits behind me on my uh, wall here. And he said that's how he helps uh, become a better English speaker by listening to yep. podcasts as well. So Listening is everything. It's everything in language learning. You know, when I was in college and I took Spanish in high school, I think we kind of all had to do that. I also was forced to take Latin, which was <laughs> another another horror story. I wish I anyway didn't didn't enjoy that at all. But uh, uh, when I was in college, I had to pick another language, and I picked French because I thought it sounded so nice. And of course, your last name has French origins in it. Uh, but the class I was in was full of Vietnamese students. Now this was back in the late seventies. Yes, and. The teacher came in the first day and just only spoke French. And I kept saying, I don't under, nope, no, no English, Mark, just French. And so the end of the class, I walked up and I said, how am I supposed to know what the heck you're doing? She goes, well, this is immersion. And I went, well, what's that? She goes, well, we don't speak any English. And of course, my thought was, how do I know what you're saying? And then I said, how come everybody in this room seems to speak French but me? And she said, they're <laughs> Vietnamese, duh. Yes, uh, they learned it. <laughs> they were a French colony, you know, before the war. So I kind of had a disadvantage. That was a very tough semester for me, for sure. Well, you hit it on the head. They, you should not be forced to speak before you have gathered vocabulary in a listening manner. There's Children don't do that, so adults shouldn't do it either. It makes no sense. You have nothing to say. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, needless to say, my French is not so good. So, uh, well, the, this thing that this is the thing that kind of bothers me because it 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 ruins the experience for people, and they they view language learning as difficult. It's the same thing with art. It's the same thing with everything. Often, the way something is taught 
ruins the joy of learning and growing and whatever that thing that, I mean, people think I'm not good at languages. Well, you learned one automatically. Why can't, why would it be any different than any other language that you wanted to learn? Yeah, I think it's just the uh, methodology. That, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so uh, there you go. Well, let me give you a proper introduction. I do it in French, but I can't, so I'll do it <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it in English. I could maybe scrimp through in uh, Spanish, but we won't try that either. I'll humiliate myself. Edmund Pifford, which is the wrong to say way to say it in French, has been a professional artist ever since he graduated from college, even though he never really studied art. Shortly after graduating, he moved to Los Angeles from his native San Diego and began driving a truck for film set companies, but he quickly talked his way into painting sets and backdrops, building models and doing illustrations for many movies, music videos, and ad campaigns. He returned to San Diego after his first daughter was born in the early 90s and began painting murals and painting for interior designers, which he still does some of that today. A couple of years ago, though, a client asked him to paint a portrait of his 1967 Ferrari 365 GT2 Plus 2. Nice car. Since then, he's painted a couple dozen cars for various clients and would like to do a whole lot more. He enjoys the incredible challenges of accurately painting historic cars that are set in a nostalgic scene from their area. And I'll tell you, listeners, I got to uh, see Edmund's art when I was at the La Jolla Concours about four weeks ago. Went back to my hometown to enjoy a very wonderful Concours event. If you haven't been there, you need to go next year. And that's why we're talking today. We'll be back in just a minute to learn more about Edmund and his artwork. But first, a word from our sponsors. So please give them a little love and we'll be right back. I love Covercraft's new five-layer all-climate cover. It was developed and engineered for anything Mother Nature can throw our way. It's very soft, breathable, and easy to store and pampers your paint and interior surfaces, providing maximum UV, rain, dust, and snow protection. Add their gust guards for windy conditions for extra protection. Their five-layer all-climate cover is custom-tailored with Covercraft's attention to detail, form and fit with a quality and attention that's been their standard since 1965. Covercraft protects cars, trucks, motorcycles, RVs, trailers, and water craft too. Every one of my vehicles is protected by a Covercraft cover. And I have a deal for you. Use the code yeah 21 at Covercraft.com and you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order plus free shipping. That's right, 10% off and free shipping. Just type in the word yeah Y-E-A-H, 2-1 at checkout. Yeah, 21 at Covercraft.com. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Zengen. It's a company that I learned about when I had Zengen's Matt Spurlock as a guest here on Cars Yeah. Matt's helping us enthusiasts understand the benefits of using oil analysis and proper sampling methods with the Zengen Consumer Testing Service to determine the condition of your engine in anything from cars to motorcycles, boats, and even aircraft engines. I gave it a try with my two vehicles, sent in my samples with their easy-to-use sample kit, and received my own personal Zengen report. I was thrilled to discover that both my cars got the perfect score of 10. Huh, what a relief. Wouldn't you like to know what's going on inside your engine before something expensive goes wrong that you had no idea was lurking under the hood? It's like a blood test for your body, but for your vehicle. 
Father's Day is coming and I know dad doesn't want another pair of socks or a goofy tie. This year, give dad his very own Zengen oil test kit and you'll make him smile. And I've got a great deal for you and for dad. Go to ZengenScore.com and use the code CARSYA20 and you'll get 20% off your first two kits. What a deal. Preventative knowledge and maintenance could save you thousands and you'll rest better at night knowing your engine's condition is A-OK. That's ZengenScore.com and use the code CARSYA20 today. Most people don't think about their collector car insurance until their annual premium becomes due. Well, why wait and see if there are better options for your beloved rides? I didn't. Did you know if you change carriers before your policy runs out, your insurance company has to refund you the unearned portion of your policy premium? I did my homework. I shopped around and I found American Collectors Insurance. And that's who protects my Porsche Turbo. That's right, the one I call my orange crush. They've been protecting collector vehicles since 1976. I encourage you to call my friends at American Collectors Insurance. Ask them about their agreed value policy. And if your collector vehicle is on your regular auto policy, you will be shocked at the savings, not to mention the assurance, should something bad happen to your ride, that you'll get what your vehicle is actually worth. Give them a call today for a quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of Mark Green at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. Give them a call today. All right, Edmund, we are back. So we're going to uh, go a little deeper into your life. I love your backstory because... Art was obviously a passion. You didn't study it, but then you found a way, a way very quickly to uh, edge your way into the industry that became a career for you, which is fascinating. So kind of share a little bit of that, and then we'll move forward to the present of your passion for painting pictures of people's automobiles. Well, my grandfather who raised me, he was an, an immigrant from Germany, and uh, he was really into engineering and things like that. He didn't get a chance to study it. When he, he moved to the United States and opened a business, actually he opened a car dealership here in San Diego. I was always drawing, and uh, for him, art wasn't something that a man would learn to do. <laughs> okay. So he wanted me to take science. I, when I went to college, I took political science because it had the word science, science in it, in while, it. while not yeah. being scientific. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> that seemed to satisfy him, but then after college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So that's how I ended up driving a truck for a set company. And I saw people painting backdrops and I thought, wow, that just looks like so much fun. And I know that I could do it. So that's how I ended up going into artwork. So from there, you decided that, you know, this is kind of neat. I can play in the art world. I really like this. This is fun. And I wanted to fast forward to what you're doing today because I saw you at the La Jolla Concours and I went, you know, I got to have him on the show because I've had hundreds of artists who paint people's cars. And let's start with that first client who said, hey, could you paint a picture of my car for me? And that, that kind of set this whole thing in motion, didn't it? Yes, it did. I've had people ask me to paint their pets, which is quite a bit easier. Than a car. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So it was a big challenge for me. I had to figure out how I was going to do it. Then I read this article by a, an illustrator that I was always into. And he said what he would do was he'd make a print of the photograph of the car. Then he'd 
trace it on tracing paper, then use transfer paper and uh, transfer it onto the canvas. Because with cars, they're extremely unforgiving as far as all the angles and all that thing is concerned. And then so if you need a framework, you need uh, something concrete to then paint, to continue the paint around. So that's what I, I do. And then, I, of course, I use the references on the photographs. You have to change the light. Oftentimes, it, you know, if, this, if, if the scene is during the daytime or during the evening, you have to change the light on the car, which is really a challenge, too. I mean, it's an incredibly complex object, you know, as most objects are. But when you're dealing with light and reflection, the, the complexity is, is you have to really pay attention because it's, it's not intuitive necessarily. No, and I've, I've seen artists who are working on their skill set with automobiles, let's say. It's the same with architecture in a way. You have to understand perspective and depth and light and all these different aspects of painting. And a car especially, if you don't get everything just right, our eyes are so used to seeing cars that the as a viewer, we go, something's not right. Like the wheel's yes. a little too big or it's in the wrong place. Or Now, we're not talking about getting into abstract work because I've had plenty of artists that deal a lot more loose and abstract, and that's their style. Uh, one great, no, I've had many great artists, but one good artist who's become a friend is Lynn Heiner, who does a lot of palette-type work and layers and thicknesses. And her cars are almost like Monet's. Monet, you've got to stand back and go, okay, now it's all come together. Mm -hmm. But if you get too close, you're like, what is he doing here? The guy must have had bad vision or something, <laughs> which I think he did. But um, I, I've got to ask this because... As you've started painting cars now, do you see perhaps in your future, as you refine your skill sets, maybe starting to take this in another direction? And I think of artists like, most people think of Picasso as the most recent Picassos that he did. But if you go back into his history, he was an excellent artist of realism. And people go, he painted realism? What? Do you see yourself kind of going down that path maybe in the future, or are you still working on, on reality? You know, with the portraits, people like it very, very precise. But uh, I did a, por a painting of the Ford versus Ferrari race, as you probably saw it in my booth, and that has lots of action, and it. it's a little painted a little more loosely. It's, you know, it's like when you see it um, in a photograph, even it would be blurry in certain areas. People really loved that painting. And um, so I'm, I really would like to do more race paintings in which uh, motion is shown. Obviously, the shape of the car has to be pretty precise. But with the portrait of the car, you know, I'm getting down there, you know, <laughs> using my reading glasses to get in real close to make sure the printing is correct on the on the medallions and so. And, mm. and like you said, the owners of the car are extremely aware of of every detail of their car. So if they want a, an accurate portrait of the car, that all has to be. But, you know, in a, in, when a car is driving by, you know, you, you blur the paint a little bit so that it shows motion and adds excitement. Yeah, I, re I would really like to do a lot of uh, scenes from famous races. People seem to like that a lot. Oh, yeah. It's exciting, anything with motion. Scott Jacobs, who was involved and has been involved with the La Jolla Concours, was a guest uh, several years ago. And he's a good example of extreme realism. I mean, getting down to reflections within water drops on cars and things. And you can go online and see his work as well. And, and you look at how he works and you just go, oh, my gosh, how how long did that take uh, to do that? But that's his style. That's his, his way. I tend to like things that are a little more loose and even yep. getting more abstract. And in my home, my wife's a saint. All the artwork in our home is past 
belongs to past, you know, belong to in their mind now, but are, is artwork from past guests uh, of mine because uh, like Levesque or some of the others that I have on my walls that are starting to go towards this different way. But it, art is really subjective, isn't it, when it comes to whether people like it or they don't? Yes, it is. I think the, the best thing, well, what I try to do is to make the scene behind it have a nostalgic feel. Mm. That takes it outside of the realm of subjectivity a little bit, I suppose, as far as the art style is concerned. But yeah, art is, I mean, there's just, and you never know, you never know what's going to appeal to people or what they'll see in it that they like or what they don't like. Art is one of those things, one of those aspects of the world where people tend to be influenced by other people more. They, they're unsure of what they like, but people should really, they should buy art and buy images because they like it. It should be really for no other reason. Absolutely. Yeah. Things that you and you smile when you walk in your home and you see. And the other thing I suggest with people is, you know, every year change your walls up, put up new art or change things around, hang a piece in a different place. You'll be amazed at how it makes you feel differently. And uh, I probably need to do the same here because some of the things on my walls have been in the same place too long. I'd love to ask you about inspirations in your world of art are there people or artists that have been inspirational influential to where you're going with your art oh yeah i think the apex of the technical ability in art was reached in the 18 late 1800s the victorian painters were off the charts good and and some of the ones that may people might be familiar with like say someone like a singer sergeant got a tremendous amount of impact out of very little motion his strokes are so basic but man i it's it sends chills up my spine i i i i work very closely at and sometimes i think i I wonder what it would be like to be a little looser but still maintain that realism i i think that's a those are techniques that you just don't see anymore a lot of art a lot of art that can be quite photographically accurate seems almost kind of cold and actually kind of photographic that you see on display. The kind of warmth and motion and vibrancy that that some of these really old painters, um, like Soroya is another one, it's just, it's breathtaking, absolutely breathtaking. You know, and the, the, the depth that they could get in their brush strokes and colors and the use of light and layering uh, is amazing. I always suggest to people, even if they're not artists, go to an art gallery. Every major city has wonderful art galleries, all variety of different art, and really try to get as close to the art as you can. I studied a lot of art history in college. And then when I would, for instance, I was in Paris and I got to go to the Musée d'Orsay, which is a beautiful museum. Oh, yeah. They have a lot of Van Gogh and, and other, what they would call more contemporary. Of course, they seem like old guys now because of the time frame. But And when you can see that art up close versus on the printed page in your textbook, it's a whole different world. It Like, that's the same piece? Oh, my gosh. So much better. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah it, just, and, yeah, it just isn't transferred in a book. It's just not, uh, yeah. It can't be. And that's the beauty of having art on your walls. And even if you can't afford an original painting, a lot of artists do uh, uh, copies or prints or special uh, methods of doing prints that you can come close. And um, yeah, even some of the, the great masters these days, you can get credible pieces to hang on the wall that look very, very much like uh, the original pieces or as close as they can get versus just a printed on a printed piece on a page. We're going to take a short break. We come back. I want to talk a little bit about this uh, career path you've chosen and the art you've chosen, and maybe a challenge you've faced with it. So keep that in mind. 
and we'll be right back. Okay. You listeners know that I'm a huge car care fanatic, and my friends at AutoGeek created their Wolfgang Deep Gloss Paint Sealant for perfectionists like you and me. Wolfgang a Deep Gloss Paint Sealant is designed to provide long-lasting protection and a glossy, slick finish that, well, it's unmatched. The use of polymer technology ensures your paint is protected from environmental contaminants, those damaging UV rays, and lasts up to three months long. By providing the glossy look of carnauba wax with the longevity of a synthetic formula, Wolfgang a Deep Gloss Paint Sealant is the best of both worlds. Go to autogeek.net to get yours for the best product selection on the internet today, along with their skilled technical support. Autogeek.net is where I go for all my detailing needs. That's autogeek.net. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual, informed, reasoned opinion based on first-hand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARS yeah when you subscribe, and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. TechForce is a charity of choice here at Cars Yeah. Auto techs are in high demand, but the supply, it's critically short. For every one tech who graduates school, there's five jobs waiting for them. Said another way, four technician jobs go unfilled for every technician graduate. Lots of young people love cars, but don't know how to turn that passion into their careers. TechForce Foundation shows them through career exploration, technical education, and the workforce development solutions. Join Cars yeah in supporting TechForce Foundation and its mission to solve the technician shortage by donating at techforce.org today. So let's talk about this, Edmund. I like this question for all my guests because it shows how you managed a difficult situation, an obstacle, challenge, a failure, but more so, what was that lesson learned that you could carry forward? Because as the great racer Nikki Lauda said, I learn a lot more from the races I lose than the races I win. So take us on a little bit of a journey. Oh yeah, absolutely. Failure is is key to everything. Making mistakes are key to everything. I think probably one of my biggest challenges in life has been uh, <laughs> pretty remarkable ADHD. And um, a lot of times doing art, it's one of those things that allows you to to see the bigger picture and be free of constraints in a way. But at the same time, once you have to do the work, it becomes work. And then your your mind starts to wander. You get start to get edgy. You start wanting to start another painting before you finish the one. But listening um, at the same time kind of decouples my mind from those thoughts. So that's mm. one of the reasons why I started listening to foreign language podcasts. But yeah, I think uh, there are there are things about a person's disadvantages that bring advantages with it in a way. So my lesson for other people 
maybe people with ADHD just engage your mind. Go ahead and engage your mind with more things. If you're finding something boring, then assign yourself a, a task that you're doing at the same time. Mm, yeah, I think our ancestors would do it. And I mean, a lot of the the horrible toil that they would have to do in the fields, they broke up by telling stories or singing songs. So I think it's a it's probably a pretty typical human activity. I think so. And I'll tell you something interesting. I had an artist on, on the show that had learned, had the same challenge and had learned how to overcome it. And it's become a very successful artist making lots of money selling paintings. And he spoke about this on my show. And what he said was he had many friends who were artists and he would go over and they had all this unfinished work laying around. They said, how come you can sell so many pieces and I can't? And he said, because you don't finish anything. Yep. Just find a way to finish one thing, get it done. And we talked a little bit in the show. You listeners can go back and listen to that show. But I think your advice, I don't think I know your advice, is very true. And this seems to be a very common, I guess I could call ADHD a challenge. I don't want to speak for you, but a common way or let's say a common path for many of my guests who've become artists, fabricators, builders, photographers, even writers in some respect, that they've figured out a way to channel that challenge into the production of something versus, let's say, being an attorney or business person, quote unquote, whatever that means. <laughs> There's a wide variety of things. Uh, but I liked your idea that you need to find something to either just let your brain go, kind of what meditation does a little bit, right? Exactly. I think people tend to overthink things and also be too perfectionistic. Mm -hmm. So if you set yourself some sort of limit, like you, you create a false uh, schedule, you go, well, you know, the client's coming over tomorrow afternoon, I got to get this done. And rushing through it, actually, oftentimes your your best work is when it's <laughs> when you're hurrying and you, you feel the pressure of something that you maybe you have to make it artificially. But you start to you start to in order to get the work done. You just eject the things that are blocking you. You just go, okay, forget about it. I'll do that later. And then you yeah. never get back to it. And it's a good thing because it, otherwise it would have, I don't know, some th people overthink things too much. I, I think that's one of the, the impediments of people. People love to work with their hands and they would love to do artwork. And I think they, they're locked into what they imagine they should be doing rather than just going ahead and doing it. You and, hit the nail on the head there, Edmund. My father was an architect, but he loved to paint and sculpt. And in his later years, he decided to help people who had uh, diseases that were going to take their lives fairly soon. And he started a program called Living Through Art. And he created these terraces behind his house on the hillside in Mission Hills there. And he would invite people over and teach them how to sculpt and paint. And he, I asked him one time, I said, what's your biggest challenge with this? And he said, well, one is that I know all my students are going to die soon. That's a lot yeah. to take. <laughs> However, I'm letting them not think about what's coming and focus on the now, but many of them are not artists. So they are so engaged in what the piece is going to look like versus the experience. Right. It's kind of like what exactly you just right. said. So he just always tell people when they would say, well, I can't draw or paint. He'd say, hogwash. Yes, you can. Let me show you how. And he'd give them techniques. But he always would say, don't worry about what the end piece is because Artists don't have to start with the end in mind. They can enjoy the process. And that's the lesson I think you just said for anyone listening today that wants to try art in any capacity, just start doing it. And don't worry about how it's going to end up, right? 
Well, and worrying about how it's going to end up, people often have an image in their head of what they'd like to achieve with the painting. That is a big mistake. Mm. You have to let the painting dictate it to you and what you're doing dictate it. To you. So you're, you're literally forced to, to work with the, the process itself because you're never going to be able to it's just a, what it, what you have in your head as an end product is literally a fantasy, and 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 ultimately it's not. It's probably not what you wanted in the end anyway. So as you're working with the work, you're making your mistakes, you're you're going back and you're fixing things, and and that changes how the the painting ends up in 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 the long term anyway. And you have to realize too, some of your paintings are going to be less successful than other paintings. But it is really all about the process. It, it, it it's kind of a form of meditation in and of itself. It is. Yeah, I had an uncle who was a great woodworker when I was a little boy, and he would invite me over to his wood shop and allow me to build things. And he would give me a little bit of guidance. But what was great about my uncle Tom is he would just kind of let you go. And I remember I built his birdhouse, and at the end I looked at it, and it wasn't very good, of course. And I said, Uncle Tom, this thing doesn't look very good. And he said, well, so what? Did you have fun today? And I said, yeah. And he said, that's all that matters. And yep. I've always remembered, this was God, this was 55 years ago, something like that. But I've always remembered that. Did you have fun with the experience? And that's what well, Uncle Tom really had life figured out. He did. He was, a, he was a tremendous guy. And boy, his wife, my Aunt Luwali, believe it or not, that was her name. Luwali could make the best apple pie, and I still can awesome taste that to too. this day. Yeah, very cool. Let's talk about a special vehicle in your life, because I'm guessing since you enjoy painting cars— Cars have something uh, as a tickle your fancy, I guess I would say. Is there a special vehicle in your history? And if so, tell us about that ride. Well, I had a, a roommate from England when I moved to Los Angeles. You know, at that time, a lot of the, the people that moved to were moving to Los Angeles from England. The first thing the guys wanted to do was to buy the biggest American car they could find, especially <laughs> yeah. from the 1950s. Yeah. So this this guy bought this uh, 58 Edsel, and uh, it was... Uh, <laughs> not only was it enormous but it was about the most unsafe car and he was about the worst driver possible but uh it was just so much fun those years living in los angeles you know he was always the one that would drive so you know we'd go with our friends here and there in that enormous car sliding from side to side as he made the turns <laughs> and i don't know it was just a kind of a special car yeah. apparently as as i heard from another friend of a friend that that car ended up getting sent to essex um and it still is around in in one of the villages where the guy originally came from. The no car still kidding. exists, which is surprising to me. Yeah, you know, you of course think, it looks a lot better now, now than then. You think about the Etzel. I think they made that from fifty eight to sixty or somewhere in that. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a huge success because it was a little bit goofy looking for the time. But it's, I think it stood the test of time. But it's, can you imagine in the fifties what was being built in England? Compared to that car. Oh, yeah. I mean, you couldn't be more polar opposites. And uh, yeah, uh, that's interesting that he chose that. But I can kind of see why we all want, you know, I've always wanted European sports cars. So, well, I think that in, in England, well, the, the 50s and 90, the 50s era in the mind of people in England back in the 80s was kind of a time of paradise. They liked everything about it. They liked American movies. They liked American music from the 50s. And American cars were part of that. 
and just to be driving around in a car that was the size of a tuna boat uh, <laughs> was very appealing. Yep. I mean, every single one of them that I knew that I worked, because I worked with a lot of them at the set company, and every single one of them bought the biggest, oldest car that they could find. Sure. And in, in Los Angeles, it wasn't like in the 1950s where you could park on any street. It was pretty difficult to find a place to put your car in the evening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, American Graffiti, you know, it's uh, exactly kind of goes exactly back to it. a pretty idyllic time in our country after the war and things were pretty good and pre-60s yeah. in Vietnam and things that were coming down the road. So yeah, uh, pretty cool. 58 SO. Wow. What a magnificent car. So I'm going to be your car psychologist today. Uh, so okay. I'm going to sit back on the couch and answer me this question. If you were reincarnated, pun intended, or manifest as a vehicle, this isn't what you want to be. This is how you perceive the man in the mirror as a vehicle. What would you be? But more importantly, why? I would be a Citroen DS from the 1970s. Okay, well, I get the French connection. <laughs> well, it's it's more it, it's for one thing. It just it seems so like a car that fulfilled the kind of design fantasy of of a world of a modern world. I don't know, yeah. and it seems like the kind of car that's just so cool that if you were if you <laughs> I don't know. I just imagine people driving around in Europe picking up hitchhikers and having fun <laughs> conversations in a car like that. Yeah. I tell you, last time I was in Paris and it's been far too long since I've been there was, gosh, could it be? It was 2011, I believe. And I was walking down a street. I was there for Retromobile, which if you've never been, is a wonderful event, automotive event, a whole week of fun things. And driving down this street in Paris, it was gray February, was a bright Pepto-Bismol pink DS. <laughs> I'll send you a picture of it. It's it oh, was fantastic. so it was so bizarre, but it was so Parisian, you know. Uh -huh. And I just went, oh my gosh, that's like so cool. And I have a good friend here. He was a very early guest um, on my show who sells Citroen parts. He's Japanese, which is a very odd combination. Uh, Kenji Yoshino, Kenji's a great guy. Worked with him for many years. And uh, yeah, I sent him that picture while I was there, saying, Kenji, look what I just saw. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was was pretty cool. And of course, when you think about those Citroens, uh, then they came out with the uh, one with the Maserati engine, which was kind of cool. Added a little power to that thing. But have you ever driven in one of those? Uh, only one. Yeah. It's like riding on a cloud. It's the most <laughs> bizarre experience. The car just floats and the seats are super cushiony and it goes around the corner and you just feel like you're... Like in a cloud, it's the most bizarre vehicle. <laughs> but well, to me, it's it's the car that 007 should have driven. Oh, now there's because a it controversial just, it looks statement. It's so mysterious. <laughs> I know, I know. A lot of people are going to get their hackles up, but I just thought, I don't know. It just looks so exotic. Yeah, pretty special car. Well, I like it. You know, you're an artist. You're unique. You've got that French heritage going way back. So that all makes sense to me. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Is there a great book you'd like to share with our listeners today, Edmund? Yeah, it doesn't really have anything to do with cars. That's but, okay. Um, I read recently there was a, a recent uh, American-English translation of the Epic of Gilgamesh. And I thought, well, it's, it's the world's oldest book. I might as well give it a try. And what really struck me about it is how, even though it's clearly a myth, it really resonates. You see, you're seeing people being like people are around today only thousands of years ago, it kind of struck the same kind of problems. And the way the book began and then finished in this kind of almost Zen-like manner, I mean, that he, he le he's leaving a city 
to go on this big adventure, and he's just looking at his city, thinking about the things that just are, like the bricks and the people and all this stuff. And in the end of the adventure, it's the same thing that strikes him. So it's it's almost like, ah, boy, it's a hard thing to explain the feeling about. It's it's almost just appreciating things the way they are. Oh. And though that is really your adventure. Yeah. Well, no one's ever suggested that. That's uh, of course. Then I think the author of that book is anonymous. So they don't know. Oh who. yeah. I think the translation, there is an author for the translation. I'll put that in there as maybe a, a reference. But uh, yeah, that's one of those uh, journeys for sure. Nice uh, suggestion. So before I let you go today. You're, you're Probably t- way off the charts. No, that's okay. I love it. You know, it gives people a different uh, idea of what they can read. And there's so many great books to read out there. So oh, there yeah. you go. I'll remind our listeners, there's a place on the Carsia website called Guest Recommended Books, where there's well over 2,000 books listed there with quick, easy links to buy. So I'm going to enable you to go on the ultimate drive today, Edmund. Uh, I'm like this dream client that has an open checkbook. I'm going to buy you any car. You can be driving anywhere. And here's the cool part. You can be with anybody living or someone who's deceased. Bring them back out oh. of history. What does that ultimate drive look like for a creative person like you? Oh, my gosh. Well, I would like to drive around uh, Central Asia in a Willys Jeep with Genghis Khan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now now you're getting really crazy. <laughs> wow. You know, you're a creative guy, and I knew you were, but you're really taking this places literally here. Genghis <laughs> Khan. Oh, my gosh. So I've got to ask, what would be the first question you'd have for Mr. Khan? <laughs> I, you know, the thing is, what strikes me about him is that he's probably one of the most important characters in history, and people know almost nothing about him. I mean, his his personality was never described. I'd just like to have a conversation about like ordinary things, like going to a restaurant and with Genghis Khan. <laughs> I mean, just who are you? Yeah, what the it's heck like happened force, to you? Like, who was your mother? Like, <laughs> what's that? Who was your mother? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like yeah, but it, it's it would be like. Because our view of, of him in history right now is kind of like Sauron in the in the Lord of the Rings. It's like he doesn't have a personality, right. but yet he had so much effect on the world today um, in, in ways that people in the West don't really understand, I think. Right. But, uh, well, he, you know, he became the largest or what he created through his great Khan empire, the great Mongol empire, I believe is the largest contiguous empire in the history it happened after his death, but it's hard to fathom given the time period that he lived because he died in the 1200s or something. I believe so. At end of the end of the 13th century. Yeah, and you think about what didn't exist back. I mean, it, <laughs> how do you even get around? You didn't have a Willie's Jeep, dude. <laughs> I know that's that's part of the reasons why I want to drive around with a Willie's Jeep because an open top and he can just feel like he's on a horse except yeah. uh he's not allowed to drive well that's why i add that segment you can bring somebody back because i've had some very interesting answers of people being brought back and riding around with them uh the obvious <laughs> would be you know take henry ford for a drive in a ford gt or things like that but yours oh, yeah. yours has got to be the top 10 <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Well, you've taken us uh, on a wonderful journey today, and I'm so glad that we got to spend this time together. Before I let you go, would you share maybe a success quote, a mantra, or some words of advice for our listeners today? Oh, gosh. That's something I haven't thought about. Words of advice. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe somebody that wants to be an artist or just words of advice about life these days, or maybe something Genghis Khan would say. 
<laughs> this is probably not, definitely not something Genghis Khan would say, but I would, well, maybe it would. I would say my advice to young people would be really follow what interests you because, you know, you're going to find a way to make a living out of it. Maybe you're not going to be rich, but you're going to have a fulfilling life. And this is the only life we have. So regret is the worst feeling that you're ever going to feel. So follow something that you love. If you love something that that you, you think isn't going to be what your parents want or what your your siblings or or friends want that's not important it's all about because if you do something that interests you you're going to be motivated and motivation creates success or enjoyment yeah you know i've heard it over and over again now and that's why i started this podcast was to inspire others that there are opportunities if you love cars like edmund and i and my past 2076 guests all love cars motorcycles trucks uh, there are so many ways that you can get involved in your passion and work in that field and i think there's even more today than there ever have been look at me if you told me eight years ago i'd be interviewing guest number 2077 on a podcast cars yeah i would have looked at you like well I probably would have literally said, what's a podcast? Because I did. Uh, but I figured it out and we get to have fun together. How can people learn more about you and your artwork? Well, I started a website for my automotive art. It's Edmond Pafard Automotive Art. And um, the other art that I do, the murals, I've never had a website because I've worked by word of mouth and I have too much work. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that good so, for you. <laughs> yeah. The automotive art, though, is something that, that, also appeals to me in that it's it kind of gives me freedom so i don't have to be on site uh, my dream eventually would be to travel around the world and doing paintings of of cars wherever i am and then sending them to the client there you <laughs> so, go well you can it's dream kind of it. my version of working remote you can yeah there you go if you can dream it you can do it i think uh that was one of the quotes that um Enzo Ferrari uh, used to say about somebody corrected me on that and said, no, it was actually someone else, but it sounds good. So we'll just say we'll attribute it to Enzo today. Edmund, thanks for being so generous today with your time and sharing your world with us. I'm so glad we were able to connect today. Until you and I talk again, maybe I'll see you somewhere around the world painting a car. I hope so. That would be fun. <laughs> thanks again. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.